it's great to be here, everyone. A real pleasure. I feel like there's a slight conflict of interest because um, Rose rang me and I wasn't sure whether her motivation in asking me to ring was to try and get in with her boyfriend's mother or whether I said yes to try and get in with my son's girlfriend, you know? So there's a the agendas kind of kicking in there. But um, either way, it's good to be here. And um, I come to Blueprint from time to time. I always love coming to Blueprint. And um, I'm always impressed at the quality of the teaching that you have here. Um, and you don't seem to shy away from difficult topics. And so I thought, oh man, you know, how do you come and speak to Blueprint? When I looked at the lectionary reading and I didn't really like it. So um, <laughs> I decided that I'd free spirit it, you know. But it's like, how do you talk to the group that, that talks about everything, really? There's nothing that's off limits. And I thought, mm, you know, maybe evangelism is going to be one of those topics where, you know, lots of people don't like evangelism and it's not a very cool word. And then, lo and behold, I discovered that Etienne had done a sermon recently on evangelism. Where was Etienne here? Oh, Kira, I listened to it, Etienne, I enjoyed it a lot. So there it was, but you know, you, you stole my topic, so, you know, um, but I, I was impressed and he had his three points and all that. And then, and then I, um, I, I heard about camp and... Um, sounded like it was a time to celebrate deep belonging together and Rose suggested that perhaps something that springboards off the camp that I wasn't at but, but hearing <laughs> the stories and just thought to explore um, ideas around community and belonging and I've got a couple of texts for us to look at today briefly one from Acts 2 and one from Romans 12 and um, I will get to those. I won't just read them together because then you'll just switch off and you'll think about what you're doing for dinner. So we're going to wait. But, but anyway, as I thought about how I was going to deal with this topic of belonging and community um, and thinking about these two texts that I had, Acts 2 and Romans 12, I thought, now how am I going to approach this? And I sort of had the option of, you know, the kind of commentary approach or the fireside chat approach. And um, I've had, I got a bit burnt actually by the commentary approach recently where I was really trying to upskill and I was doing, um, I had a message prepared for um, our little Sunday morning gathering. Um, we do house churches on a Sunday morning and then we, we um, just have an overflow space for those that are new to the church. So you don't expect to get many people, there might be six or ten, everyone's in their house churches. But I did this big research, decided to go Old Testament, read up on the commentaries. And then when I arrived, it turned out that those that chose to turn up that day were not really commentary kind of group, you know, like we had someone that was arriving, you know, under the influence of some substances, and then we had someone else who arrived and they'd been busking on the street, but the person that had been shouting at them on the street also turned up at the service, and we had someone on day leave from um, the, um, a unit at the um, Lower Hutt Hospital, and it just turned out that really the little group of six wasn't going to be commentary, so I thought, no, on that basis... I would just go um, fireside chat. So here we go. So it does mean there's not going to be three points. We're just going to go kind of unplugged. And um, our rod unplugged. No three points. And so rather than being, you know, kind of like run around the bases of the um, softball pitch, it's just going to be a meander in the park. Sorry, Max. <laughs> but um, I, so I want to do some reflections on... on, on um, Christian community and, and, and deep belonging and just sort of um, thinking around the fact that Christian community really is God's vehicle for us to deeply belong together as the body of Christ, but Christian community is also God's vehicle for us to grow in the likeness of Christ. So when we think Christian community, 
We have one, the nurture of belonging, and we have two, the challenge of growth. So the Romans passage, Romans 12, um, it's a great passage, and I've been sitting with this. And it says, um, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. So it's quite strong language. It's a warning, not just even an encouragement. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God's given you. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. So, don't think of yourselves as better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation. It's an interesting passage because you've got this thing that's called a warning. So, it's kind of heavy. And it's a real warning, a challenge around pride and, and, and kind of getting too full of yourself. And then it suddenly moves to the body of Christ and says we're many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. So, we've got this interesting connection which moves from not being proud to you belong to each other and you're a body. If we try and think about what that connection might be about, um, we can probably um, fairly safely conclude that, that there is a connection between the healing of having a, a prideful attitude towards ourselves and actually belonging to one another. So you can't just will out the pride, um, but belonging to each other as parts of the body is actually the way that we learn to be honest about ourselves and deal with that pride. It's because they're, they're, they're joined together in this passage um, very closely, and so um, we can only think that there's a thematic link there. So it would seem that in terms of our discipleship, Christian community isn't just an optional bit, that in fact we've got to be belonging to one another as the body of Christ if we want to be viewing ourselves in a healthy and godly way. So when I'm talking about Christian community, I'm not just limiting it to living residentially or, you know, being part of Cuba Vale. Um, um, so, so Christian community can have a number of expressions. And this is a church space that really values community. Um, you've got obviously your chapter houses, which are the core of your church life. And so I want to share just a little bit out of um, my own experience of community. I've been living... Um, and various expressions of community life for 30 years now. And I've got some stories, great ones and less great ones. Um, so for me, I didn't grow up with Christian community. Um, I've had to work at it, and that's been an ongoing journey of, of growing into community. And community was viewed almost as a slightly negative thing when I was growing up. I mean, that was obviously quite a long time ago, but it was seen as a bit of a hippie fringe thing. It's kind of like, oh, they live in community. And it sort of suggested some Buddhist ashram or something kind of a little bit um, a little bit unusual. And, and, and I think as well, temperament-wise, probably I wouldn't say that my temperament was most given to community. I've got a fairly um, driven, um, individualist temperament. So there's been a real challenge to come into health as a real team player. So what is Christian community? Well, I've got a couple of quotes for us. One says... We might define true community as that place where the person you least want to live with always lives. 
And the next one, true community exists. They get worse, actually, this one's worse. True community exists when the person you dislike most dies or moves away and someone worse takes their place. <laughs> I was just hoping that at Cuba they all went Max left and Jesse Duckworth moved in. <laughs> One of my crowning community moments um, many, many years ago when I was really green in community, um, I, I, I'd come to the understanding, I'd been told that in community if there's tension, you've got to resolve it. You don't push things under the rug. And so I was earnest, I was committed, and there was someone in our community that just seemed to be in the cold shoulder a lot. He put out a really negative vibe. So being the good community um, participant that I was, I said, um, hey, look, could we chat? So we sat down, and for some reason, Marsha was there too. It was a meeting of three of us. And I said, look, could you just help me? I sense that there's something negative coming from you to me, and I'm just wondering what I've done. And, um, and he just said, look, there's nothing that you've done that makes me not like you. It's just who you are that I don't like. <laughs> and I said, oh, and I was a little bit shattered. I was only in my early 20s then. And then I said, well, look, what can I do to help the relationship and perhaps make us get on better? He said, there is nothing you can do to make me like you. So that was my launch into community. Um, now, you guys are already well underway with this journey of community, and yet I just think it's really important that we don't um, limit the practice of community to our current expressions and experience, that it's something that we continue to grow into. You don't arrive at, well, I've done community now, tip that one off. Um, we want to keep pushing beyond what's known as pseudo-community into really um, authentic community, and that is a life journey. And um, I won't tell you how old I am. You know, I'm still quite young, but I've been doing you know community for a long time, and I hate to confess that even in the last probably five years, I've had some massive lessons that I've had to learn and really be humbled and let God change my heart and and, and heal some attitudes in me. So I guess for you guys, post-camp, you're kind of celebrating the um, sense of belonging and family that you get with a church camp. But I think also this is an opportunity to ask God about how do we keep going and how do we take this deeper. And as we um, seek to practice authentic community, obviously there's the opportunity to become more like Jesus. Um, now, it is easy to fall in love with the idea of community. I mean, who doesn't back, you know, good kai together, good vibes, and um, lots of hangs, and supporting each other, and championing some current important issues together. Um, so that's just kind of the little the little warning there, that, that sometimes the idea of it, because community is kind of quite a cool word, you know, I live in community, oh wow, you know, cool. Um, so let's not fall in love with the idea of it. But I've got a little rabbinic tale that I'd like to share. Some of you may have heard this before. Um, so it's called The Cost of Community. Long ago in a distant land, a prince dreamed of creating more than a geographical or political kingdom. He dreamed of establishing a community in which all persons were committed to each other in loyalty and equality, where every poor person sought the welfare of the neighbour, even at a cost to the self. So the prince called a great meeting of all the heads of clans, all the wise and trusted people of the land, and he dared to tell his dream. Each chief and his clan were invited to join in the foundation of a new society. As part of the community's inauguration, 
Each was requested to search his cellar for the best wine produced from his ancestral vines. These treasured bottles would be uncorked, poured into a great communal vat and blended as the true community it represented into a common vintage. How can I mix my exquisite wine with that of my neighbours? asked one of the wine growers invited to this covenanting. I would sacrifice the unique variety of grape, the special climate of the year, the sweetness of a late harvest, the indefinable magic um, of bouquet, and I would violate my art as a winemaker. Impossible. Give up my distinct variety, lose my separate self. I will not be adulterated in such a common cup. So he corked a bottle of tap water, affixed his most beautiful label to the bottle, and at the time of the ritual poured the water ceremoniously into the vat. When the covenanting was solemnised, all filled their glasses for the communal draft, a toast that would seal commitment to community. As the cups touched their lips, all knew the truth. It was not wine, it was water. No one had been willing to pay the cost of community. So, while it's kind of got a certain appeal, the term community, it is actually costly. It's not all about peace and happiness. And you guys who are living in chapter houses, I'm sure, are well aware of that. But it should be fun and enriching. And at times, you know, you want to feel like you're living the dream. Um, you know, for the likes of some of your crew, I had a lovely chat with um, Esme, Parton, Jess and Chelsea, and just some of the dramas and the schemes that are put together to create community fun. You know, you are living the dream, but if it's authentic, there will and there should be experiences or seasons of profound discomfort, challenge, tension, disappointment, but ultimately growth. And so if you're living in community and it's all feeling fine all the time, perhaps there's some avoidance going on. I found a beautiful quote, and it said, Christian community is a web of stubbornly loyal relationships knotted together. Stubbornly loyal relationships knotted together. And so we recognise authentic community by strands of commitment and care for the other, and then um, enabling people to live together cooperatively. But this web, when you think about this, this web or this arrangement of relationships, it's not like a necklace of beads that are all just connected with each other. It's more like a wheel, because community is only held steady and firm by a resolute attachment to Jesus and a deep commitment to prayer. So the Jesus piece is the centre of the wheel, and we don't gather around ideas or issues, fantastic as they may be, and we don't just have community for community's sake. So now if we look at the um, Acts passage, which will be very familiar to you, um, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshipped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So um, this is this loving fellowship of co-disciples that's centred around Jesus' mission. And so it's not fellowship for fellowship's sake. 
So those early Christians, they believed in God, but then the outworking of that was forming a community that was distinct from their environment around them. So they challenged cultural norms by the way they lived. And they had a mission, obviously, as we know, across acceptable social and cultural boundaries. They jumped the fence and they shared the gospel with the Gentiles. So it was a community of people who, would, um, who chose to live in holy obedience. And what's interesting is um, when you read some writers around that time, it wasn't just the signs and wonders that impacted the people around them. Often, you know, we look at the book of Acts and it's all about the signs and the wonders and the people being saved. But there are writings from um, people at that time and it said that the lifestyle that they had impacted and that was actually the thing that had the most impact. So it uses the word fellowship. You know, they would meet together. They were a fellowship from the Greek word koinonia. And often when we understand the word fellowship, we just see that as coming together, um, you know, a, a, a meeting, a gathering. But in fact, their coming together, the sense of koinonia, was um, involved sharing, which was actually a radical and costly sharing, which involved sharing their possessions. But interestingly, it also meant participation and contribution. So it wasn't just a passive attendance at something. Being part of this first century um, gather fellowship meant that you participated and you con contributed as well. So as we know, they ate together, they met together, they studied scripture, they worshipped, huge emphasis on prayer, they helped the needy in their community. They weren't just a social group or a support group. They were joined by their intimate participation in the world um, around, around Jesus. Um, what's really interesting to note, this is a little side, side bit, but um, there seems to be um, a connection between the fellowship's economic generosity and, um, and liberality and divine power. So you've got this interesting weaving in the text. We said they shared their possessions and they did signs and wonders and they shared everything and there were many miracles among them. And when you read it, it's got this lovely sort of tapestry of weaving. And so it seems to be, or it suggests, that there was some connection with this radical sharing and this view of possessions and money and the freedom of the power of God to work through them. Um, so the lifestyle that they had was transformed at every point. They had a devotional life together, they had um, communal life, it affected their economic life, it was practical, it was outwardly focused. And so obviously it's set in a cultural context um, and, and that's not a pattern that we're necessarily assuming, that's not to be slavishly kind of imitated. Um, under the authority of Christ, they were freed to actually try new ways to love one another. So this was an expression of um, freedom. They were full of the Holy Spirit and they explored ways to express that love for Jesus that they had. And so for us, the call is to grapple with the day and age that we live in. And so what new ways to love and to be community together can we explore um, in the cultural context that we're in. But the call um, is always to be a countercultural, prophetic, covenant community wherever we are, um, caring for one another and taking a stand against evil, societal evil. So um, what I thought um, would be good to do is just briefly give a little summary of um, some aspects of Christian community. And um, these are not new, so you guys know this stuff. 
but it's just good to be reminded and to reflect again. And I think if we um, look at some of the hallmarks of Christian community, we can probably divide them into, into two sections. There are the relational pieces, and then there are the missional pieces. So first up, um, Christian community is not a hand-picked group of people that I naturally click with. And um, it's not just about gathering a group of friends. Christian community involves attentive listening. We expect to hear God through others. And again, that goes back to the, um, the Romans 12 passage where if we're deeply listening to others, we're not puffed up and proud that we know it all. And so this attentive listening is part of community, but it's not just a token thing. It's a, it's a genuine and authentic thing, expecting that we'll hear God's voice and expecting that we'll see Christ in the face of the other. We don't know it all. Um, thirdly, vulnerability. That goes without saying. Lots of you have read Brené Brown. It's a bit about, you know, we're all talking about vulnerability. But I think, um, you know, the revealing of the struggles and the talking about ourselves, the willingness to ask for help. Um, I still think that we can talk vulnerability, and it's really important to ask ourselves regularly, are there things that I'm hiding because of my shame um, that need to be shared and brought into the light? And I think... Um, you know, we can talk vulnerability like we can talk community, but the actual practice of real vulnerability, appropriate vulnerability, we're not saying you sort of go and have to spill everything to everyone, but it's actually an incredibly humbling, painful thing. But you can see again, you're not going to be um, prideful or, you know, all puffed up um, or not having an honest evaluation of yourself if you are practicing vulnerability and belonging to one another as the Romans passage said I love that like we belong to another one another it actually means we are members we are each members of each other so there's this lovely sense of um if I own something and, and this book belongs to me it's kind of mine and it's just the book it has sort of no power but this mutual belonging to each other is a really radical concept where I belong to you but you also belong to me and so that offers some rights and responsibilities with that ownership um, conflict is confronted in community. Obviously, um, we're not avoidant and we, we, we refuse to move into, or we try to refuse to move into pretend agreements. Um, and so to live in Christian community, it means a commitment to robust conversations, um, but we keep loving and we choose not to be defensive because, again, we need to be attentive to the voice of the other. Um, accountability, obviously different from criticism. Accountability is really hard because, again, accountability is another one of those words that we just bandy around all the time. Oh, yeah, we're in Christian community and we keep each other accountable. But when you think about it, to actually keep someone accountable is quite a rigorous process because if I'm sort of looking at you and saying, mm, I'm thinking there's some stuff I really need to hold you to account on, the first thing I have to do is have a really hard look at myself. Is this actually a projection of my own brokenness? And I have to be willing to look at the darkness within me. So that's painful, takes a bit of courage. And then if I come to a point of thinking, actually, that's not just me projecting. There's something there that I want to raise with you. It takes extraordinary courage because the other person won't necessarily receive it. So there's kind of risk of looking within and there's the risk of how the other person's going to react. But I think accountability is something that takes a long time to actually do well, 
because it is a big responsibility and it can move into being um, too hard. And until I know in, com in a community that I was part of, I felt like accountability started to be just nitpicking and finding fault with each other that wasn't life-giving. And so it's finding that real um, balance, that wisdom around what does what does um, mature accountability look like. So the conflict and the accountability, the vulnerability, they are really hard things to do. Um, but all of those things, if we are practicing those things, being vulnerable, accountable, doing conflict well, then it means that our community will be therapeutic. It's going to be a therapeutic community which fosters healing and growth. And that's not the only focus, but that's going to be a byproduct of those practices done really well. Um, because if people are gently correcting us and challenging us, then side by side with others alongside me, I actually discover who I really am. Um, I was reading someone on this topic and it said, um, he said, we never get to the bottom of ourselves on our own. And so all this kind of me and Jesus, you know, we know that that's, that's clearly not the way to go. Then, of course, um, Christian community, there's the missional aspect. Jesus centred and founded on prayer. It's a community of deeds. And so that will involve care for the poor and, as I mentioned earlier, seeking to be a prophetic voice. Um, and I think an important thing around the prophetic voice, again, that's quite a kind of cool thing to say, oh, you know, kind of prophetic community and we're, we're into all these issues. And I think um, activist communities can lose their way around this because it becomes so focused around often the issue but I think we've got to realise that you earn a right to speak about an issue. So, for instance, if you're wanting to look at the justice system in New Zealand and talk about re reintegration for prisoners, you can't do that with integrity if you're not walking alongside people who've been in the justice system yourself. And if you're wanting to speak out on issues of, of racism um, or you know, injustice, if you're not actually in a church where you're grappling with what does it look like to be a racially integrated church, or you're not building relationships with people of different ethnicities or whatever, you can't speak with authority and just be about the issue. We've got to be living the issue before we can speak the issue. So that's another, speak to the issue, so that's another challenge um, in, in Christian community. Um, so I think another little trap that we can have in Christian community is that what we want to do is we turn our back on some of those evils of society, you know, we're not about ego, and we're not about sort of greed, and we're not about the corporate um, capitalist dream, and, and we can swing away from those things, and there's nothing wrong with that in, in itself, but then there can be a pride about being this elitist Christian that I live in community, and I'm not part of the corporate dream, and I um, buy second-hand clothes, and vegetarian and vegan, whatever. Do you mean, but there's equally there can be a price. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong in themselves, but I'm saying that we can just transfer. It's like there's a, there's a principle in addiction where, you know, someone can give up kind of um, smoking crack, but then they start to eat lots of junk food or drink lots of V or, or you know, do smoke lots of cigarettes. It's just a transfer of the addiction, and I think we need to be aware that in Christian community, that we don't sort of turn our back on the vices of this age and just embrace another one that might be on a different political spectrum, that actually the death to the ego needs to be regardless, and so not to just have this kind of reactive identity shift um, and, and, and feel better because we're in the community. So um, if we want to know Jesus, I think Jesus is most truly known in community. As our Romans passage has suggested to us, I just want to um, share a little story about someone who has had a really big impact on me. And um, she knows that I'm sharing this. I'm using her real name. It's my neighbour Jill, 
And um, before 2010, Jill was only a, a vague acquaintance. I didn't know her at all. And um, her and her husband had an interest in getting involved in the prisons, and so they contacted us for a meetup. Long story short, they came and worked in the prison, and they moved out to Nainai to be um, to embark on a journey of, of community with Martin and I. Now, um, Jill is a really, really different person to me. She grew up rurally, and I grew up very um, suburban. Um, Jill is someone who um, does things more sort of deliberately. She weeds her garden really consistently, whereas I tend to be um, more the blowtorch. I'm a more kind of um, modular gardener. Um, I'm full of really bright ideas, and I like to move at quite a fast pace. Um, get things done, um, have new ideas, whereas Jill likes to deliberate and process slowly and consider implications on others and, and on everything else. Um, I like to find a solution to every problem and I don't want challenge or roadblocks sometimes to stop me. Um, Jill loves to work as a team and wants to make sure that others are included. So if we were to look at that kind of five-fold gift thing, Jill would be pastoral and I would be more kind of apostolic evangelist, you know, get out there and get on with it. Um, but Jill and I have been in the trenches together and we've been involved in prison reintegration ministry together and my gosh, we have got a lot of war stories. We have, um, and I'm not going to go into those, I'm resisting the temptation, but you know, we've we've been in jammies together first thing in the morning um, with someone actually being arrested. Um, only this week we did end up um, both, it was one of those wet mornings, it was about eight o'clock in the morning, and I am standing in the rain, hose and vomit off a whole lot of sheets that have been spewed on by some kids that we're caregiving for. And I thought, oh, that's like, I've got better things to do with my time. So I've just got vomit kind of splattering everywhere. And then there's Jill also standing in the rain, same morning, and there's been a little episode inside her house with someone that she's supporting, and Jill just came out for a little bit of safety and respite. And so there we are, in the rain, vomit, dramas, and I just said to Jill, you know, it's been a bit of a rough morning on Bertrand Grove this morning. But it was just that kind of beauty as well of being able to just be with each other in it all. And I think the miracle of Jill and I in community is that we have a deep, deep friendship um, and a mutual respect. And I didn't even know her nine or ten years ago. And I think um, the thing with Jill is um, she has um, loved me enough to confront me. And she's, she's good at that. And she's helped me to get to know myself better. Um, she's held up the mirror, and she's actually let me hold up the mirror to her too. And there have been times, like she initiates, she's someone that doesn't like the conflict to, um, to, to, to go unprocessed. And yet I'm a fighter, and she's not so much the fighter. And um, there have been tears on both sides, and there's been defensiveness probably more from me. Um, but, um, you know, I feel like she's dared to raise stuff when it would have been a lot easier just to let it go. And so, you know, we're talking about me in my 40s still learning this stuff, which you think is it's the basics. But this gift of someone who is so different to me and operates, you know, in a way that at times is grating. There are times when I just think, oh, I'm the wild horse that wants to race out and do the race. And I feel like she's the one that pulls the reins and says, stop. And it's like, oh. But in actual fact, I have such a respect for her and she has been such a gift for me. And, um, and has helped me become more like Jesus, I think. Um, and so
And so when I think about what's happened in our community out of St David's, a lot has happened out there. We've got a community centre and we've got a cafe and we've built houses and we've camped on land and there's a lot that's gone on in our community and yet none of it would have happened without a group of people willing to take the risk to do this community journey together but to actually do it well and to do it practising all these things that have been painful. But then we look on now and we think, gosh, there's so much to celebrate. And we had a little group of people um, came to visit us yesterday because they were doing an urban mission exposure course. And everyone in our team, our, our little community, was involved sharing things. And I was looking on at Jill's husband who was sharing so beautifully. And I thought, wow, what a great guy you are. And then we headed down to Tapuna Manawa, our community centre, and two others, Tim and Naomi, they were there with the meal set up and just hanging out with the neighbourhood ready to share for the next bit. And, and it was just such a lovely reflection of this is what, um, this is the impact of Christian community, but we've had to work hard at it. It hasn't just been um, easy for us, but also the great things that have happened in the neighbourhood haven't just happened like that, nor have they happened because of one superstar. They've happened because there's the guy that loves high-vis jackets and there's been, you know, those that do details and those that do big picture. Um, and, and I think what I love about my friend Jill is she has practised stubborn loyalty to relationship. And she's had a huge commitment to mission to see the kingdom of God come in a way that never could have been done if Martha and I had tried to do it alone. And, and so I think um, as I stand here today with lots of stories and lots of experience and, and lots of fruit of the work that we've done, I don't stand here just as me. I stand here with a crew of people who annoy me, and I annoy them, and we push through, and we do see the kingdom of God break through. Now, lest you think that there was not three points to pull out of that, <laughs> it's about maybe 25 or, I don't know, maybe just one. I want you, I've got this off you, Etienne, this is your, I leave it to talk to your neighbour, and I want you to try and pull out one or two or three points for yourselves about what might be the little take home or two, you can find the three points rather than me. <laughs> I just want to finish off with a little prayer. It's actually, um, I love this book of prayers um, from Michael Lunick. And it says, we give thanks for our community, our dear community. We anger each other. We fail each other. We share this sad earth, this tender life, this precious time, such richness, such wildness. Together we are blown about. Together we are dragged along. All this delight, all this suffering, all this forgiving life, we hold it together. <laughs>